You're listening to Living Healthy Longer by the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging. Yeah, this is kind of just my little spiel that I've been giving when people are like, why are you looking at muscle when it comes to Alzheimer's disease? It doesn't make sense. And I like to argue that it does. It makes a lot of sense. Muscle, for a lot of reasons, I think I am also biased. My background is in muscle physiology, but I think muscle is one of the most important organ systems in our body. It gives us autonomy to move around. It's the most metabolically active organ, so there's a lot going on with like your nutrition and what it's giving to the body, Um, and it's also very um, predictive of disease progression and all-cause mortality. So it's one of those things that, like, I think it doesn't get the attention it needs until it doesn't work properly. Nobody cares about the muscle until it's not there. That is Dr. Shelby Osborne, a postdoctoral research associate in the HealthSpan Biology Lab, under the direction of Dr. Tom LaRocca at CSU. Dr. Osborne is joining us today to describe a proposal that she recently submitted to the National Institute on Aging to study the relationship between aging muscles and Alzheimer's disease. Is it possible that researchers can see signs of cognitive decline in muscle before the brain ever presents with a deficit? Dr. Osborne thinks yes, and she shares her ideas to explain why in this episode. I hope you enjoy. I'm your host, Hannah Hallisker, and this is Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging at Colorado State University. Well, I appreciate you coming out here today. Of course, I'm (laughs) glad to be here. So would it be fair to say that, you know, if you look at muscle, you can find a lot of maybe precursors to a lot of things? Yes. Not just Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So like you're trying to make an argument for we've got this whole, you know, muscular system in our body that Mm -hmm. is actually like a really good treasure trove of data for Mm -hmm. us. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It, I think it gives us a really good idea on what's going on in the body, like in different systems, because nothing works in isolation. Um, So it gives us that idea, but also it gives us an ability as like a therapeutic. If we know that muscle can like, if it goes bad and it leads to all these things, if we know that exercise is good for your muscles, it gives us that therapeutic opportunity to prevent or at least slow the progression of a lot of things, including just the aging phenotype. Yeah. So Alzheimer's disease, people think of it and they only think of the brain and what happens to losing your memory and, you know, your brain atrophies over time. Um, Tell us how beyond just muscles, skeletal Mm -hmm. muscles, where in other body systems can you see signs of Alzheimer's? That is a great like segue because you can see it. There's a lot of evidence in almost every system. Mm -hmm. So one of the big ones is that with Alzheimer's disease, you see dysregulation in the, in the skeletal system. So your bones, the people with Alzheimer's disease will have lesser bone density than their 
age-matched asymptomatic counterparts. So that leads to a lot of frailty and like risk of breaking something when they fall and things like that. So it, it really isn't just the brain. And then there's also a huge problem with Alzheimer's disease instigating inflammation. So you have inflammation that comes from the brain, but it also goes to different systems and it can have these inflammatory responses and um, dysregulate your immune system. So you're more susceptible to other sicknesses and diseases Mm -hmm. and things like that, just because your whole, like your whole body becomes out of whack. It's not just the brain. Nice. And so is it, is it fair to say that some of those things are probably happening before we even see changes in the brain? Oh, absolutely. I would almost guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. But I would assume we probably don't have a lot of tests for those things yet. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's very difficult to, especially when you are looking at other systems, it's hard to understand what parts of that dysregulation are affecting the brain and what parts are just in that environment itself. Yeah. So it can be hard to distinguish mm-hmm. what's going on, but I would almost guarantee it. Okay, so tell us about skeletal muscle then. This is the this is the one tissue that you're going to be focusing on. Yes. Looking for precursors for Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the relationship between skeletal muscle and Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, so um unfortunately all I won't say all. Most of the data, if not all, is going to be correlational. So we don't know exactly what's causing the relationship between them, but we do know things like um, your baseline strength. So the stronger you are, the less risk you have for developing Alzheimer's disease, the less risk you have for just general cognitive decline. So not necessarily Alzheimer's, but just the, or any sort of dementia. Um, Also, when we see patients, Alzheimer's disease patients, what a big hallmark of Alzheimer's disease is going to be brain atrophy. So the brain tissue itself shrinks. You have a lot more just space in the skull. But what they've also noticed is that the rate of brain atrophy also correlates to muscle atrophy. So the like as an easier way to look at this, you can you can look at muscle atrophy a lot easier than you can brain atrophy. So if we know that this relationship exists, we can kind of get an idea on the brain phenotype without actually having to look at the brain. And that's because muscle is more accessible. Yes. It's a lot easier Mm -hmm. to take a muscle biopsy. It is. It's a lot, and it's a lot easier to do like, um, muscle composition testing. So like the DEXA, if, um, you're familiar with that, it's a way to look at, bone density, but also muscle mass and fat mass and things like that. So we get that broader picture. Whereas if you want to look at the brain, you have to do the MRI, which is like very intensive and you have to sit very still. So there's a lot more give with body composition testing, which kind of makes it a little more ideal. Okay. And so... So you said it's a correlational relationship Mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily know the cause, Mm -hmm. like which one is causing the other to atrophy or if they're even related in that sense. Um, But surely you have some hypotheses. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So before you tell us yours, Mm -hmm. 
I have more mine. Okay. <laughs> and I am not a scientist. Yeah. I've just been working in healthy aging for three years now. And so I've read a lot of oh, things. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it has something to do with, like you're talking about baseline strength um, and how strong you are into older age kind of helps this cognitive decline aspect. Mm-hmm. Um I, you know, there's all this research that exercise reprograms the cells mm-hmm. of the body, that exercise makes your cells more youthful and it kind of clears out some of these signs of inflammation. Mm-hmm. It's like a, just a great therapeutic that's not even a drug. So I'm wondering if that has a big thing to do with it. I think it, I think it does. Definitely. Yeah. That's a big thing in our world. And there are a lot of like congresses on it, but exercise is medicine. If yeah. we... A big problem with our um, society is that people aren't meeting physical activity recommendations. Yeah. So if it's as simple as just going on walks, like take some time, get some fresh air. Fresh air is a, does beautiful things for your body. Yes. So it's just one of those things that like we have we have some answers right at our fingertips, but people won't put it into action yeah. um, because of various barriers. Some of them are lack of like green spaces and things and the ability to get out and go walk or the access to a gym. And especially with aging populations, you have problems with like osteoporosis and joint issues where you can't do high impact exercise. So even walking can be difficult for some people. Yeah. So just that availability is one of the hugest barriers mm-hmm. that we have to kind of think about. But I definitely believe that exercise and that that reprogramming and that um, aspect of it could play a huge role. Nice. Is that your primary hypothesis? That's mine. But what are some of your hypotheses between this relationship with skeletal muscle and Alzheimer's? Yeah, I think that is a huge part of it. And that's part of my project. Um, But I also think it goes down to like the cellular level with that. So um, the biggest kind of connection between muscle and Alzheimer's disease is actually within the mitochondria. So we know that the mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell. Um, We know they're important for energy production and all of this stuff. But what we notice is that the mitochondria become dysregulated with age And they become further dysregulated with disease, which causes a lot of problems um, outside of just energy production. So um, what we've what certain people have shown is that when you look at um, mitochondrial function in muscle and then you follow this over the time. And if they're diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease later, you'll see a sooner and steeper decline in mitochondrial function in the muscle than you do the brain. But that's kind of that tying factor Mm -hmm. between the two systems on like the cellular level. Okay. So you see this in the literature. You, Mm -hmm. You kind of have these ideas of how this relationship is working out. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you just applied for a grant Mm -hmm. to do a study on all of this. So tell us a little bit about what the experiment would be. What would yeah. you be interested in doing? I'm super excited for this um, this study because we have a really cool mouse model that we're going to use for this. So one of my mentors on my grant committee thing, um, he has a mouse model that it's a transgenic mouse. So fancy for just saying um, that it's been genetically modified. 
So within this mouse, we are able to tag muscle-derived things with a fluorescent marker. Mm -hmm. So with this, I really want to be able to track the fluorescence within different tissues. So we know muscle is going to be very, like, fluorescent because everything that it's producing is going to have that tag. But what's really cool about this is that I can also look at the brains of these mice and see green fluorescence in that and then be able to see like is it going to a certain region of the brain specifically is there an age component where we see more or less green with age and then how does exercise also affect this so that kind of gets into that kind of solidifying this communication between the muscle and the brain yeah so very basic science question Mm -hmm. for people who are listening and thinking that there's a bunch of green mice that are going to be running around a lab. You're not when with the naked eye, you're not going to see this happening. You act, the funny thing is okay. in the muscle, they actually do turn green. The muscles okay. are green. Interesting. And anything that's going to have a very high concentration of this will look green. So my, okay. um, my lab mate calls them Hulk mice <laughs> because they, their, their muscles are just like this little tinge of green instead of the normal, like reddish pink that you see. Interesting. Interesting. So I took us down a tangent with that question, (laughs) but back to the study itself. So you're looking at muscle communication and you're talking about these things that are being excreted from the muscle Mm -hmm. and where do they go? So that gets us into this extracellular vesicle part of your study that you're interested in. And our listeners have heard about this a couple of times before. Um, If anybody wants a reference, they can go back to our regenerative medicine 2.0 episode. That was actually with Nicole Earhart, the director of the center. And my understanding is every cell makes an extracellular vesicle. They're essentially like little signaling molecules Mm -hmm. that, you know, roam around the bloodstream and they send signals to other places. Yeah. But tell us about extracellular vesicles for you Mm -hmm. and what that's going to look like. Yeah, exactly. So the way that I've always kind of explained them is to think of EVs or extracellular vesicles as packages. So within the package, there can be all sorts of things in it. It depends on the cell type. It depends on the stress of the cell itself. Um, but this, these packages are able to go anywhere. With, of course, if we're talking about actual packages with the help of the postal system. Um, but if we're talking about the body, we think of that as like the blood and the lymph. Um, I'm more focused on the blood itself. Um, but as far as what's in those packages, there's a lot of different things. So you can have microRNAs, which are going to regulate gene expression. Um, you can have actual RNA molecules in there. Um, and then you can have proteins you can have cytokines so think like inflammatory markers and things like that within this which is how we see a lot of the spreading of inflammation throughout the body system and all of that Mm -hmm. so I'm very interested in the in the microRNAs and the effects that they can have on gene expression um, because that's kind of the uppermost part of that cascade um, is that we see a lot of changes in structure and function of a tissue and the structure is going to be made up of proteins but proteins are made up from RNA so if we're affecting the RNA 
um, expression, we're going to be affecting protein accretion and function. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm coming from in this project. Um, and it's going to be very important because as you said a few minutes ago, the EVs or all cells produce EVs and they are going to be directly reflective of what's going on in that system. So if you have a sedentary person that's not, doesn't have like the healthiest diet and stuff like that, their extracellular vesicles are going to look a lot different compared to somebody who exercises and, um, eats like healthier foods or even if you take a young person and compare an older person like what's in those evs are going to be very different even though they're coming from the same cells Mm, okay so the exercise component comes in here because if i remember your um yeah the specific aims that yes (laughs) yes. if i remember that correctly you're gonna be you know having different groups of mice yes doing different treatments different things some are gonna exercise maybe some are not yes so tell us about that yeah so with this study i want to have basically four groups so i want a young group and an old group of these hulk mice um to where we can look at the effect of aging on um the accumulation of EVs in different tissues. So like I said, we have that green fluorescent protein that we can track. Um, I also want to look at the cargo within them. So look at it, see if there are microRNAs in there, see what's in there at this point. Um, And then also see how the dose or the amount of um, the green EVs kind of correlate to changes in like brain physiology. So that's part. And then I also want to do a subset of my set exercise. So young and old undergo, I think we just, we landed on eight weeks of voluntary wheel running. So an endurance based exercise program um, to see how exercise is going to affect all of those things that I mentioned previously, the accumulation, the cargo of the EV or the content Um, And then the responses in both a young population and an old population. One part that I forgot to add is that we are going to be doing cognitive tests and physical function tests on these mice. So that way we can see, um, that'll give us an idea because as great as it is to understand what's going on with like microRNAs and stuff, a lot of people don't care unless there's some sort of like physical difference within them. If they're if they can remember better, if they're less like shy, if their grip strength is better, so that's what people care about. So we want to be able to see um, if there are relationships between all of my cellular things and like the actual physical outcomes. Okay, and some of what you're expecting to see, I'm assuming, you know, exercise mice are going to have what's the word, not so many markers for cognitive decline or something along those lines. Yes. Use your language to describe what you're hoping to see. I'm expecting to see a few different things. I am expecting to see a greater accumulation of EVs in the brain with age. And that I'm mostly going, my main thought process behind that is that with age you have a deterioration of the blood brain barrier so more things are getting into the brain that shouldn't be Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the thought behind that um I 
don't the the literature is mixed on if ev secretion increases with exercise it would make sense to me that it would because your your muscles are active they're going to be spitting out all sorts of things yeah it would make sense that evs were one of them um but that's kind of one of the things that the field is trying to figure out because these are still um a newer like the EV world is still pretty new. Yes. So there's a lot we don't know, which yes. is kind of what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think the biggest change is going to be within the cargo. Like what are these EVs carrying in them that are causing either havoc or fixing um, target tissue yeah. damage? Yeah. So take us to the human side of this it's for the person that's wondering you know how does all of this eventually get translated to a human population what's the long-term hope with a study like this yeah yeah yeah. that that is the million dollar question yeah Mm -hmm. so as far as my what I'm going to do with this Basically, I want to kind of establish this relationship in mice and then be able to compare it to human data sets. So there are tons of data sets out there on muscle transcriptome, so the RNA expression, gene expression. Um, There are a million different data sets in Alzheimer's disease brains. There's not that many in muscle samples of people with Alzheimer's disease. I have Mm. only found one. Mm. So... That's going to be a little more difficult, but I do want to be able to kind of overlap because there are a lot. So it's not a one-to-one for comparing mice to humans. Obviously, there's a lot of differences, but there are a lot of orthologs of mouse genes that kind of do the same thing as another gene in humans. Yeah. If we're able to even set a precedent that, hey, what we're seeing might be indicative of what's going on in humans. That gives us a lot of leeway to start thinking about this in a human context. Mm -hmm. Right now, I don't know that the knowledge is there, especially in the EV world, um, because we can't like inject people with things and we can't make a Hulk person. Yeah. That'd be cool, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's people that are trying to. I'm I'm sure (laughs) that would not surprise me. I think we have a long way to go to make this tie. Yes. But I think that's what like yeah. gives me the the excitement. The drive and the excitement to get yeah. this done. So takeaways for all of this. Let's try to summarize what the big important things are for people who are listening. Um I would say number one, like I said in the early beginning, is there is evidence of cognitive decline happening in the body and other body systems Mm -hmm. before you even see changes in the brain happening. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. What other takeaways am I missing? And maybe this answer can be combined with our last question that I am asking every guest who comes on the podcast this season, which is, can you identify a major challenge in your field that you believe must be met in order to realize real increases in health span or healthy aging? Just, I think this kind of points to the whole reason that I want to do this is the fact that nothing works in isolation. Yes. Like there is not a single thing in our body that acts alone. Mm -hmm. The body is highly redundant to kind of be able to 
address different things. Like if some system fails, there's usually one that can take out, take over. Mm-hmm. It might not be as effective, but it still keeps the body going. Yeah. So that is, that's been my biggest kind of pet peeve and soapbox with this is yes, Alzheimer's is a brain centric disease, but there's so much more that goes into it that I feel like part of our inability to find a solution is that we're only focusing on one system when it's not that simple. Like biology is a messy field and it's difficult to look at, but that's like the beauty of it Mm -hmm. is that we're not, I don't think we're meant to know everything. Mm -hmm. I don't, but we're not going to know close to anything by isolating things out and not taking into consideration other aspects. Yeah. And treating Alzheimer's like it's just a brain disorder. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, then thank you for being here and telling us about this potential study. Thank you. We have fingers crossed. Yeah, we have fingers crossed that you're going to get this grant. Yeah, I think I've convinced Tom to do it regardless. (laughs) He's excited about it, which is so much fun. Well, hopefully we can have you on a year from now. Yeah, and you can tell us about some preliminary findings that you have. (laughs) Of course, I'd be more than happy to. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you, Shelby, so much for walking 20 minutes over here (laughs) anytime thank you for listening to this episode of living healthy longer a podcast from the center for healthy aging at csu remember to follow us on social media at csu healthy aging and visit our website at healthyaging.colostate.edu we will see you next time